Okay, well, welcome to Apple Chat. Uh, my name is Benjamin. This is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And as we promised, we are doing a retrospective episode on Charlie Kaufman after we completed our four-episode series where we reviewed Being John Malkovich, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Adaptation, and Synecdoche, New York, all Charlie Kaufman films, uh, some just written by him, some directed by him. And we are now going to kind of talk about that as a kind of wrap up to the whole experience. And I, I have some questions for you, Joey, after, after uh, you know, going through that together. And uh, my first question is, what made you want to do a series on Kaufman? This is something you kind of just came out of nowhere and you're like, we're going to do four movies on this guy. I protested a tiny bit in the end. I was happy that we did it. <laughs> yeah, well, you had never heard of him, I think. Right. Um, I wanted, because all the series we have done so far, I feel like I wanted to branch off into more than just actors, right? Or even just directors. I wanted to kind of go into more, more niche things about filmmaking. We spent a lot of time talking about writing and how this podcast is, that affable chat, I mean, is like sort of a writing experiment. And uh, Kaufman is a very notable American writer so for screenplays. So I felt like it would be a good idea to go in there. And then he has a bunch of interesting movies. Uh, all the ones that we did for the, for the podcast, I think, are, are good. We also were talking about doing Confessions of a Dangerous Mind as well, uh, which is a Sam Rockwell and George Clooney picture. So that, that, that was also an interesting one. He came out with one not too long ago. I, I think that's called um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, so uh, he's a pretty notable like, director he's, he's got a, or, or a writer. He's got a very uh, unique style and, and, and that kind of uh, you know, aesthetic. So I thought it would be interesting to try to figure out what it's all about, you know, try to get a better appreciation for it. Um, I had seen three of the movies before and i and although i didn't really like eternal sunshine and spotless mind until i watched it for the podcast i felt like they were interesting and like we could it would give something give something to talk about and um uh, i thought they were also you know very strange and, and off the wall so i think the thing that was really the catalyst was definitely watching adaptation i watched or i, I saw it online or something somebody recommended it to me said oh you gotta watch adaptation so and after i did i was like oh this is very this is very interesting especially since it features kaufman as a character i felt like that also made me curious about what he was like as a writer yeah i definitely think it's something worth getting into I think people, in my experience watching these movies, people that have seen these movies kind of have a idea of who Kaufman is or have some sort of perception of him as just existing. And then there's a bunch of people who just never heard of him, have no idea, uh, basically me before we started this series. Um, so I, I think that's interesting. It's almost, uh, it, it would be definitely not getting it right to say that he's unknown, but I think maybe his genius isn't quite as perceived in the eyes of like regular audiences i don't know do you would you agree with that um yeah i would describe it as tier three uh fame <laughs> is that being a c-lister or not necessarily let me see if i can find this um uh hank green in hank green's um uh book a what is it called dang it i actually own the book where is it it's called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, uh, is the name of the book. Um, he has this tier list for fame, um, and it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's especially interesting because Hank Green is a 
somewhat famous person. And so him having a kind of thesis about what fame means or like the status of fame is, is interesting. Um, and I can't find it right here, but maybe I can search for this better. Okay, so tier one is popularity. You are a big deal in your high school or neighborhood. You have a particularly, particular vehicle that people around town recognize, or you are a pastor at a medium to large church. You were once the star of a high school football team. I feel like you, at points in your life, fit into this. Um, <laughs> um, tier two, notoriety. You are recognized and or well-known within certain circles. Maybe you're a prominent um, leopardist uh, whom all other leopardists uh, idolize. Or you could be the mayor or, or of a, uh, metro- sorry, a mayor or a meteorologist in a medium-sized city. You might be one of 1.1 million living people who has a Wikipedia page. And then tier three is working class fame. A lot of people know who you are and they are distributed around the world. There's a good chance that a stranger will approach you to say hi at a grocery store. You're a professional sports player, musician, author, actor, television host, or internet personality. You might still have to hustle to make a living, but your fame is your job. You'll probably trend on Twitter if you die. Um, th- so this, I think the other way that this is described is you're, you're notable to other people in your field, which is, I guess, is more like tier two. But I feel like people that know or like watch a lot of movies or are interested in movies know who Kaufman is, but otherwise, not really. And right. Just for, just for fun, I'll, I'll read you the other ones. <laughs> tier four is true fame. You get recognized by fans enough that it is a legitimate burden. People take pictures of you without your permission, and no one would scoff if you called yourself a celebrity. When you start dating someone, you wouldn't be surprised to read about it in magazines. You are a performer, politician, host, or actor whom the majority of people in your country would recognize. Your humanity is so degraded that people are legitimately surprised when they find out that you're just like them. Because sometimes, um, you you buy food right you never <laughs> have to worry about money again but you do need a gate with an intercom to your driveway and then tier five is divinity you are known by every person in your world you are such a big deal that they no longer consider you a person your story is much larger larger than can be contained within any human lifetime and your memory will continue long after your earthly form wastes away you are a founding father of a nation a creator of a religion an emperor or an idea you are not currently alive there you go. Yeah. No, uh, and yeah. I think Kaufman probably fits yeah, somewhere in there with like the known no, notoriety or like right. being well known to his peers. I've saw multiple YouTube videos for both Adaptation and Synecdoche, New York, where it was aspiring filmmakers who were like, this is the greatest film of all time. This movie made me want to become a filmmaker. I watched this movie. I've analyzed it to death. This movie is literally my life. And I think that's really impressive, even if I don't necessarily agree, especially with Synecdoche, New York, uh, that he's able... I think he's like a screenwriter's screenwriter. Definitely. I, I feel like I identify with Kaufman pretty heavily. Um, I think that, you know, I sometimes make good connections to things. I aspire to write stuff that uh, makes me feel the same way that Kaufman made me feel. Um, I, you know, I, I like the idea or I've put a lot of emphasis on, you know, character and making, you know, creating some sort of strange world using some sort of science fiction or other kind of trick to, um, you know, add some sort of context to a wider narrative, right? Um, those are the things that I want to get better at that I, I wish I was better at. And I, I think that, um, I really admire Kaufman as a writer. And I, I will want to be a, as good of a writer as he is, I think. 
And I, uh, I definitely recognize some of those themes of like loneliness or uh, self-doubt um, or um, what else? Just the complications of a relationship, that kind of thing. I feel like those are things that I'm also intimately familiar with. And, and also uh, looking inward for answers, I think is also something that I feel like I'm a very self-aware um, you know, maybe too crippling self-awareness, I feel like is a, it's a way I would describe myself. Uh, and I think that Coffin certainly feels that way. When it, To prepare for this episode, I re-listened to our uh, episodes on Kaufman. And as I was listening to Adaptation, I'm like, wait, this is the perfect thing to do is to look, to listen to my own, <laughs> listen to my own voice to learn how I feel about Kaufman, uh, Charlie Kaufman. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the most petrifying and also uh kind of relieving things is to have Kaufman admit that writing is hard for him yeah that's something that I like as an aspiring writer definitely appreciate is that honesty but also the just reality that it's just it's it's almost like going to the gym uh you know going to the gym Every time you go you should it should suck the worst that it ever has. You're working so hard. It's like the weight is is as heavy as it's ever been because as you get stronger, you add more resistance. And I, I feel like with writing, maybe that's not a perfect one to one, but it's always going to be a challenge. Like if you're really challenging yourself, then right. you should have to work hard to get what you want out of there. And sometimes you sit down and you're just like I need to go get coffee. I need to get a donut. Uh, you know, maybe that would get this whole thing going. <laughs> yeah, I need a muffin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's true. And and I think that you know every project you approach is going to have some new challenge to it, right? And I think that's true about almost everything, but writing especially, where you're trying to get a certain point across, or you're trying to express yourself in a way that is different than how you've done it before. Because what would be the point if you're doing it the exact same way? Exactly. So, um. I think that it's really a, uh, I think that's, that's interesting that, that you, you point that out. But I do think that you start to, like writing is one of these things that's infinitely, has an infinite depth to it, right? Because the tyranny of the blank page is so extreme. <laughs> there's like, there's nothing um, more freeing or like more like uh, un unconstrained than writing something, right? Because all you need is language. You don't need actors. You don't need a set right you don't need money you just need a piece of paper or a google doc you right know? so it's not a um it's, for that reason like there's a lot of depth to it and in which you can just keep going and as you get better like you start you know developing new tools or new techniques or whatever so yeah and i think that it's a testament to kaufman's writing that even syndicate in new york which is pretty bizarre none of his movies are like completely like they're completely muddled right they're all very it's all very clear what he's trying to do basically and I, I think that he ends up packing in so much in a lot of these movies that it's it's very impressive what he's able to do in a, a movie's runtime so i've heard the phrase kafka-esque used a lot um and i've never heard this other one used but i'm going to use it what do you think it means to have a film that is kaufman-esque what kind of attributes what kind of uh features are we looking for in a movie that you would call kaufman-esque the first thing is that it's got to be dingy and dirty yes <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's got to take place in a dirty overcrowded apartment everyone's got to look like they have some sort of grime on them 
Um, you know, everybody's greasy or unwashed in some way. Uh, nobody's glamorous or looking like looking their best, unless it's a dream sequence, <laughs> in which case they can look um, incredible. Um, the yeah, so that that's the first thing. The second thing is definitely um, having some sort of meta textual element to it, yes, like something like um, supernatural, but is not necessarily the focus of the story, right? see this in being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Both of these things are, are, are centered around some sort of phenomenon that is invented for the story, but the story's not about that. It's about how the characters interact with this thing. And it's as if this thing has already existed forever, and now we are at the point where we're trying to figure out what to do with it. You know, We stop, wonder, we stop wondering about it, and we start trying to use it. Um, I think both of those things are very... I would, if I saw a movie that had either of those things in it, I would say this is very Kaufman esque. Right. Another thing, maybe not as ubiquitous, because I'm not sure if it really comes through in Eternal Sunshine, but being referential to the the to Kaufman, <laughs> like sure. being about the person who's making the movie you're watching, uh, or or even just being referential to uh, creation of art. Yes. Focusing on that in a way that is referential to the art you're watching. I think that it's like twisting your brain up so that you're thinking about the thing you're watching inside of the thing you're watching is yes. very Kaufman-esque to me. Also having great actors. Not that that's ever exclusive to this, but using them in a way like kind of weirdly, I would say is the best way I can say it, is uh, like using great actors in a weird way, I think is Kaufman-esque. Like having... And I know that it's not just Kaufman that does this, but having Jim Carrey be sad and and <laughs> dramatic as opposed to right. being wild and uh, and active, or having Nick Cage play across from Nick Cage, or, or having John Malkovich in your movie, <laughs> very <laughs> <At> Kaufman esque, <all. laughs> or yeah, just I, I, hating I Cotard as a character is so right, right. Kaufman esque, like hating yes. yourself. And being like, uh, I actually, I, this is another one. I was, I was thinking about my answers to this question. Being kind of sexually perverted out in public, not some, not, not, I don't think there's anything that necessarily goes across the line, but ha- having those sexual urges be kind of plainly stated and, um, I don't know, just honest, I think is something that's Kaufman esque. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I think it's another thing that I, I admire about him is it does, a lot, a lot of his, um, stories are very human centered and deal with what feel like dirty human problems, which is like being horny, right? Yes. Like this is not, this is the kind of thing that a lot of people would just rather sweep under the rug, but like having that be a center of the story makes it, makes you feel like you're watching something that's not too good for you. You know what I mean? Right. And being unbelievably awkward in like a real way, a, a way that's like, you, again, you are too self-aware and you're right. not comfortable in your own skin. You don't know how to act normal around other people. Uh, definitely Kaufman-esque. Uh, so what, uh, across his, the films we watched, there's, there's definitely different tones uh, of, of optimism and nihilism. Where do you land on Kaufman? Is he an optimist or is he a nihilist? Well, I think the thing that's most disturbing to me as someone who like, aspires to be more like Hoffman is where <laughs> Seductive New York like finds us, right? This is the most Kaufman 
movie because it's him yes, directing it, is. it. And it's also <laughs> about him making something, which is also very much a part of this. Um, and it's so depressing and disgusting. Like, it's the most just, like, uncomfortable movie, right? And although, like, I enjoyed it, um, I, I feel like there's lots of pieces of it that, like, went over my head to the point where I just... But I don't really want to come back to it enough to, like, figure it out. I think I said that when our review, right? It's like, this is a movie you can watch 10 times uh, and get something new out of it every time, but you wouldn't want to watch it 10 times. <laughs> um, so I don't like that because I don't... Like, uh, I think the other movies, being my John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, are all very optimistic at the end. They have a lot of dark humor to them, and there's a lot of darkness in them, but I think each of them has a happy ending, and each of them ends with this note of, like, hope in a way right even being john malkovich in this kind of weird way um i think that syndicting new york doesn't really have that it has the sweet relief of death but that's not really a comfort honestly it's not a comfort for uh Qatard the entire time he's he's living right uh, so it, it doesn't feel like it is uh a comfort for us at the end so um i think that kaufman unrestrained certainly falls further into the nihilist camp but he's paired up with very talented directors like Spike Jones and um, who we didn't even mention was in Moneyball. Um, <laughs> Spike Jones and um, uh, uh, Michael John, uh, Michelle Jondry. Uh, he ends up with something a little bit more palatable, uh, maybe is the, is the right word. But it's, uh, I certainly appreciate those movies for their messages more than I do for Syntax in New York. Right. I, I feel like there's this kind of duality to Kaufman where he's so capable of these optimistic, hopeful messages, but it's almost like he doesn't actually believe them. He's like, at, this is, if you want to look at me, this is what I think. Go look at Well, Samantha he clearly struggles York. with it, right? I mean, that's the kind of theme of adaptation. And even Internal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is him like struggling with this idea of like, what it means to be happy, right? And it, like pain is part of life. Like, why is that? You know, that seems like an unfair deal. But ultimately coming down on the side that like it's, um it's fine right it's that we that it's we can we can deal with it and that it's it's bearable because the other parts are are good enough but i yeah i think that um i think it's something that he struggles with for sure and and i don't know if he's uh i don't know if it's a uh uh i don't know if he's always convinced you know what i mean right you're always in the you're always if you're struggling with something then you're always gonna be uh struggling with it i guess sure sure and, and maybe it's like a left to my own devices this is where i'll land but right. when i have community when i have other people who are helping me get through life <laughs> then maybe i'm a little more optimistic which i think is is a lot of times how people are anyways um don't let him write and direct his own film <laughs> <laughs> don't leave him alone with a camera <laughs> and philip super hoffman <laughs> Uh, so I know it's 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 kind of a silly exercise because it's so subjective, but I want to hear your rankings of these okay. four movies. Uh, number one being your favorite, number four being your least favorite of the four movies we watched. Uh, I've already ranked mine, and I'm going to promise okay. I'm not going to change it based on your rankings. So let me hear what you've got. Least favorite one, I think, is Syndicate in New York. It's very inaccessible. Um, it's very dense. Um, I think it's a challenging movie. I, I would encourage people to watch it if they're curious, but I don't necessarily think it's the greatest movie to put on at like, you're like, I'm going to have a nice time, you know? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I want to feel something. No, I don't think I want to feel the things in Seducting New York. Um, <laughs> I think next would be um, adaptation because I think this is again kind of an inside baseball type movie where it is for screenwriters, right, or people that are consider themselves creatives. And I do, although I do think the ending is very bombastic, I think that it's ultimately kind of um, uh, inside of itself, you know. And like kind of having to get on board and being like, okay, this guy is full of himself, but like in a way that I can agree with is, is kind of a a little bit of a bridge too far. Um, Then I would say being John Malkovich, because I think that the whole thing is very fun. I think Catherine Keener is awesome. And I think that uh, the story, like once you get past the kind of griminess of it, I think the whole thing is very funny. I think the whole thing is so interesting and zany and John Malkovich really sells this performance so well that I think even though it's like very wacky, I think people can grab onto something really solid with it, you know? And then I would say Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is definitely the most powerful one. And that's the one, I mean, that's going up there as one of my favorite movies we've done for this podcast, I think. It's just very, it's very touching. It, it, I, I, it feels very profound and like it really gets at something that I think um, a lot of other movies miss, especially ones about relationships. And I think that it certainly made me reflect a lot on my, on the way that I see my own relationships and uh, not just romantic and also just like what it means to live a life that means something. I, I think this that movie's uh, really something special. So that's where, that's where I go. What about you? Nice. Yeah. Nice on the fly ranking. That was a, a very effectively expressed. Um, I had a very similar list and it's not the same and I tempted to change it because of what you've said, but I'm not, I'm going to stick to my guns. <laughs> you and, said you wouldn't, you said you wouldn't. <laughs> so number four for me, definitely Synecdoche, New York. I applaud the level of detail that was put into that film. I just can't stand it. And I don't want to watch it ever again. So actually, I do think I should watch it when I'm like middle aged and more like have more health problems. Uh, yeah, because yeah. I might you should watch it every it. like 20 years or something as you slowly get older and more frail. Right, right. You're like This is happening to me. I remember <laughs> when I was young yeah. and I watched this movie. This movie is great now. Um, but <laughs> that's definitely number four for me. Number three, being John Malkovich. And it feels harsh putting it number three because I, I did enjoy it a lot. Um, but it's more that it's it's less about this movie not being great and more about the the two above it i just like more because uh, i think john malkovich is very funny i think the, the person himself and the movie are great uh and i love like the, the focus on puppetry and how absurd <laughs> that is and Catherine keener is great in it and it's just it it's i think it, it was a great intro to kaufman uh, but I think I enjoyed my number two, Adaptation, a little bit more. Adaptation, to me, is similar to Vertigo in the way that the themes that are uh, expressed in this film are so intricately woven into everything that's oh, yeah, inside of it. It just blows my my mind, um, especially because the movie, I, I really did not like the movie two-thirds of the way in, and then it won me over so heavily in the third act, which is explicitly stated is going to happen <laughs> in the movie, I think is an achievement unlike uh, like any I've seen in film before. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily show this to somebody else before I'd show them John Malkovich or something else. Like, I don't know if I'd recommend it as highly, but I personally got a lot out of that experience, uh, which is why it goes up to number two. And then number one, 
Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This one does it all. It's Coffin achieving this incredible writing where you're able to take that the sci-fi idea, but it's not about the sci-fi idea. And then it's also preaching a message that I agree with. And uh, it it's done in a way that's so beautiful and also so sad. I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's definitely the coffin film I will be going forward and forcing um, my fiance to watch and also encouraging other people to watch when I say that I think Charlie Kaufman is a genius at screenwriting. So that's why it's my number one. Perfect. Glad we agree. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what is next what do you want to watch next kaufman wise what's what's got your uh you know you you were on to something here thinking we should watch four kaufman films if we were to watch a fifth what would you uh, be tempted to watch i i, I we have to br- go into something that we uh um haven't done but like i'm not the untested i suppose <laughs> I, I, I would say um for me there's two of them that really stand out to me one is um anomalisa which is like this stop motion film um, that I, I remember when it came out, everyone was, was raving about it. And then I'm also really curious about, I'm thinking of ending things because it came out in 2020 and I'm really curious about what Kaufman thinks of like the modern, like post Trump era. Right. Um, and like what that's done to our media streaming obviously is a huge thing now. Right. Like, what does it mean to create something in today's era as it used to be, right? And this this feeling of kind of dread, this feeling of you know, as we've as I've said, this is the theme. This is sort of the uh, unspoken motif in um for uh, Apple Chat, but the, the the media and the crumbling American Empire. Like, what does that what does that look like to Kaufman? So I think seeing like his most recent film, I think would be really interesting. And then um, yeah, this stop motion one was also something that that stood out to me, um, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Taking, honestly, any of them. Yeah, I mean, taking a quick glance at these other movies, I'm thinking of any things. I think is also one that looks really interesting to me, especially because it has such bad ratings. <laughs> that <laughs> makes me really want to see it because after seeing Kaufman's other films, I could definitely see how they're polarizing. That yes. it, it could be largely rejected, but still be great. So that makes me want to see it and make my own opinion. Uh, because unlike a traditional bad movie or a movie that has a bad Rotten Tomato score, um, is a chance it just sucks and I don't want to waste my time. When right. a Coffin film, like, well, if Coffin's involved, there's a chance there's something really incredible here, even if it's bad. So yes. that makes me want to see it. Um, I'm really glad that we did this. I thought this would be, these were really interesting movies. I felt like, um, you know, occasionally... I, on this podcast, I think we like go on really hot streaks where we like watch a bunch of really great movies in a row. Yes, <laughs> um, and that's because we're you know we're very cur- very careful with our curation. So you know? careful, ve- we are always thinking about what movie we're doing next. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I think this was this was a very interesting exercise for sure. And it's always it's always interesting, kind of like pulling down the like each movie is sort of like a filter, you know. And as you do more, like something kind of comes to the fruition, like to the front, like it be, like everything else kind of fades away into noise. And then there's something like stays the same on all four of these movies. And it was interesting kind of getting at the heart of what makes a Kaufman movie a Kaufman movie and what, what Charlie Kaufman seems to care about and, and all that by watching a bunch of his movies in a row. And so it's, it's like makes you uh, wonder what else you could do that with, you know, yes. you could, if you watch other 
Chris Tucker movies or other um, Florence Pugh movies? Like what stand what stands out as like the thing that's um, that's like most consistent with all these things. So, right. And especially thought, when you look at the writer, I feel like the writer has yeah. such an outsized influence on what you see in the film screenwriter. Uh, so I think that's a really intriguing thing for me to, to, to look into in the future with my movies. It's like, who's writing this? And what does that mean? What does that bring to the different uh, pictures that I'm seeing? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, um, I think that's going to do it. This f- officially concludes our Kaufman series. The fifth. Close the book. This is f- episode four and a half, kind of, because it's not, we're not really <laughs> reviewing a movie, but that's uh, right. Still talking about Kaufman. Uh, I guess we should just shoehorn our uh, plugs here now. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you know what? Afflejat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. I just found this in. <laughs> Breaking news. This is now your new favorite website on the internet uh, where you can find everything about Afflejat, the latest, what's going on now, and also our email address is afflejat at gmail.com. Um, if you like this episode, then go uh, watch, listen to the other Coffin episodes, unless you've already done that. And in that case, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Kaufman podcasts? <laughs> have you considered listening affable, to... Affable, Kauf, affable Charlie. <laughs> have you considered listening to four and a half podcast episodes about Charlie Kaufman? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what you should say. Um, <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>